Welcome to Take a Stool. I'm Stephen Manderson, but you might know me better as Professor Green. What you might not know about me is that I've suffered with gut health issues since the day I was born, having my first operation at just six weeks old. Surgery later on in life for a hiatus hernia in 2017 left my stomach partially paralysed. The doctor's idea was to give me more surgery, but I wasn't really up for that having just gone through two weeks of complications and nearly copping it. Rabbit hole after rabbit hole and ended up in some really weird corners of the internet, I gathered a better understanding of what was going on inside, which meant I was able to improve my gut health through a combination of healthy diet, exercise, high quality supplements and becoming really boring. The last bit's a joke, sort of. Talking of high quality supplements, I founded my gut health brand, The Gulp, after realising there were millions and millions of people suffering with the same issues and worse that I was, who were looking for a simple and effective solution, which didn't yet exist, but does now. Our aim is to get people comfortable talking about their gut health, their all-round health, and to break taboos around gut issues. So I've asked some of my mates to come and take an adult gut health test. Yep, I've literally got my celeb pals to send me their sh- send off their poo in the post so they can better understand what's going on inside themselves. We also get to pick apart their life story by way of their toilet habits and the food they've eaten throughout their life. This week we're blessed to be joined by the hilarious Daisy May Cooper. Daisy is every bit as funny and engaging as when you see her on TV or on her social media and every bit just as outspoken. But in this episode we see a side to Daisy that we've never seen before. We get to explore Daisy inside and out, which sounds a bit weird. You can find out what made her say this. I just thought, fucking hell, this is this is slightly mad. Why she asked this. At what point did you go, no, I've really got to start looking after myself now? And what made her do this? Oh my God, that's amazing. So pull up a chair. It's time to take a stool. Oh, thank you for sending us your shit, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I had to do it because I've never been asked to do shit for anything. And that, I just thought, fucking hell, this is, this is slightly mad. And I would never have thought the first time I would be uh, speaking to Professor Green is talking about my shit sample. But, I mean, here we are. And, it, and, and it's the best way to meet. The whole point of this podcast, really, was just that it was trying to create something that, that was the exact opposite to what hashtag wellness is like something that was inclusive as opposed to elitist and like all conversations around health like most people who discuss anything especially gut health are so holier than now they don't leave any room for things that we all enjoy and that was net it's, it's not the point of this that's so I think it's really that is so true that is so fucking true and I, i've always do you know what it's one of those things that I've I'm fascinated by and I've always w- wanted to do something like this but been too afraid to do it in, in case it just comes back saying like you live like Henry VIII like change your fucking diet why did you get into this like what is it about gut health um I was born with a this is where it gets really boring um and sad to so get your little tiny violins oh. out mm, I was born with <laughs> I was born with a defect in my digestive tract so my stomach wouldn't empty. So I had to have an operation when I was six weeks old. And from that point on, 
even up until now, really, I've still had issues with my gut. Um, but most recently, I had an operation in 2017, suffered really severe complications. Eventually, everything went back to normal except my stomach, which was all but paralyzed. And I was left in the same situation I was when I was six weeks old. So nothing, would, no solids would pass through my stomach. So I got into liquid nutrition and started to research ways of healing myself, really, without having to have more surgery. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah, so that was where it started. And I just think, like, so many of these conversations, like, no one talks about shit. We all talk shit. <laughs> there's going to be so many bad puns. Forgive me. They're, they're, there's such a long list of them to come. Oh, my God, no, I fucking love it, mate. Keep them coming. For me, I was diagnosed with um, IBS when I was, like, five or six. I always used to go, nah, and I got a tummy ache, mostly because I didn't want to go to school. But... That kind of continued throughout my whole life. And then it was like, is it a gut problem or is it? Because it made me anxious. I didn't realize that that knot in my stomach, what I thought was a pain was anxiety. So it started quite early for me. And yeah, that's kind of what led up to. Oh, my God, that is fascinating. Because I just wonder how many people are out there that do just think that they've got massive anxiety and don't have no idea that they've got like a medical condition. Or a stomach. Like IBS, it, it's just exactly, fucking yeah. insane. And it's, a, and it's a syndrome, so it's like it can be, you know, sociological factors, physiological factors, um, and also psychological factors. So it's a conundrum. It's really difficult to, to treat because there's so many different variables. Yeah, yeah. When, when did you actually get diagnosed with it then? Did you have to go see loads of different doctors before they said that you, you do have IBS? No, it was just one, Dr. Gadvi. Uh, and it's funny because I've just had a, I had my son recently and his first doctor's appointment was at the same doctors I used to go to and Dr. Gadvi is still practising. I'm not sure I'd trust someone that old with my health. <laughs> Like he was old when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> this has taken a turn already, oh, isn't it? Christ. Jesus. The Benjamin Button doctor. He's probably come come up with something to keep himself looking so young. Fucking hell. Youth serum. Yeah, I've drunk too much wine to live long. I was I think. Say. Um, <laughs> now let's talk about wine, but let's do that later. Why, why, although that might have been part of your childhood, it was well, wine wasn't part of mine. It was more um, white lightning and a strongbow. But do you grew up working class, right? Yeah, yeah. So I would say, like most of my meals growing up were like microchips. Um, turkey Twizzlers and my mum was giving us like I talk to her about it now but I was like I would have like full fat coke from like the age of like two or three and I think that's why my teeth are so yellow but I honestly that's all I lived on I didn't drink any water anything I just had I say full fat coke it was like the fucking you know like the cheap Asda version of it and I just oh my god it was so like we had just su like such a, I had such a poor diet as a kid. It was terrible. And also, like, I never had, like, my dad would make me these horrible sandwiches. I don't know if you remember, it was like this sandwich spread. It was like, it was like a salad cream sandwich spread. Oh, God. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't one for that. Anything, I was really, really put off of any sort of white sauces. I, I hate it. My nan used to give me cereal with hot milk, so it'd have the skin on oh, the top. Oh, mate. 
Have you ever heard of the window of opportunity? And I don't mean like when someone's left their window open and their car keys on a table right by it so you can <laughs> nick them. Fuck's sake. It's, um, it's like the first three years of life, basically, when you have no choice yourself, you're incapable of making any decisions, but it's the most important part of developing your gut biome. So the decisions that are made then and the things that you're fed basically create, it's, it's almost similar to a fingerprint, your gut biome, but it, it, that then follows you through the rest of your life and you can change it, but it means you have to be entirely consistent and persistent in the decisions that you make as far as what you eat and what you supplement and I wasn't breastfed I was I think I wasn't on um as the coke but I was on SMA I remember my nan going to the doctors with her vouchers <laughs> to get the SMA from the local GP surgery and I was on that to let me I must have been about three because I can remember it I'm not sure there's much nutrition in that and apparently all of those things contribute to relatively bad gut health because you miss out on really good gut bacteria which i mean everyone thinks of bacteria as being bad but i'm 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 half obsessed with it now like it it turns out that there's more good bacteria than bad bacteria or if well there isn't a healthy gut Oh my God. I, do you know what? I would love to be your guinea pig for this because my diet is just absolutely fucking horrendous. But growing up, it was really, really bad. What contributed to your diet being that bad? Was it the times your parents were working? Was it money? Yeah, oh, definitely. I would say definitely money because those things are fucking cheap. Like it's fucking expensive to buy like fresh go to the butchers and get fresh meat or organic vegetables or like I mean this is I remember there was like a thing that um Hugh Fernley Whittingstall did where he was trying to get everybody to buy free-range chickens and it's like well if you're poor and there's two like battery chickens in the supermarket for like five quid then you're going to go for those. Like you're going to get the shit eggs and you're going to get the shit drinks and you're going to, because there's, it's, it's quantity over quality. Cause you, when you don't have money, you don't have any fucking choices. And and that's what does make me, you know, I mean, it's, it's just frustrating. And, and you always, it's like the NHS, it's like who, who are most, who are the people that, that you see in hospitals? And it's mostly the working class because they've got poor diets because they haven't got money. Yeah, and also stress, I think, contributes to a lot of it. Like, I know if I get stressed, the first thing that is affected is my stomach. And, um, yeah, I think stress contributes to a lot of the problems that the working class have. I mean, I used to drink so much when we were poor. Like, if we had any money left over, it's like, right, we're buying fags or we're buying wine because it's escapism as well, isn't it? It's like because you can't go off on holiday or spend it. It's just like, well, this will just these bad things that I'm putting in my body at least like take me out of this bleak situation for a short amount of time. How old were you when you had your first cigarette or drink? About 13, I think. And it was a fucking silk cut. How old were you? God, um, I think I was worse. So I was taught to roll spliffs. I didn't smoke weed uh, at this point, but I was taught to roll spliffs from about the age of nine. All the older kids were like, Anything they couldn't be bothered to do, they would make us do. I remember one of the older kids in the flats, Chester, going, go to the shop and get me a beer. I'm like, I can't buy beer. I'm not old enough. He, he just said, tell him Chester sent you. <laughs> I had quite a bad time with alcohol when I was younger. I remember 
specifically what it i mean like there was the odd sip of white lightning and you try and like look hard in front of people as well so you like if there was a girl you fancied or whatever and there was a spliff being passed around you'd be like and i remember she was a bit older her name was jamie i, I actually remember the situation you take the spliff and be like <laughs> and then try and avoid the whitey but i think my diet was quite similar to yours like i was brought up by my nan and she was working three jobs. So not only did she not have much money, there wasn't much time either. But I also think education plays a big part. Like we're not taught about nutrition. Um, and there was a lot of like, you know, two, uh, what, three, two for threes, that would be the wrong way around. Three for twos at Iceland. So it was much the same. There was a lot of oven chips. There was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of microwave meals. Um, and mealtime generally for me, because our dining room was the size of a toilet, um was spent in front of the television oh yeah in front of the telly watching the fucking simpsons that was all just watching simpsons after all the like vhs that you i don't know of like um what did we have on vhs oh like the lion king just watch that again and again and again and again but yeah it was always spent in front of the te television and that is such a bad thing isn't it because you're not thinking about what you're putting in your mouth when you're when you're distracted completely it does check like now things are quite different like i i enjoy food a lot now and i'm not necessarily more conscious about what i i should be like i, I talk a good game but like now i try and with food like it's something i enjoy with friends and and generally not in front of a television it's something that that's that's more considered and more time goes into maybe not so much since covid and not being allowed to socialize and also having had children which you have too um you'll understand better than me that there are decisions made when you get to a point of oh my god i don't have time to do anything else i'm just gonna order fried chicken oh my god that's so true that's so true and it's like when you start making the mistakes that your parents did and you're like, like, awkward. I'm just, I can't be, you know, I'm just rushing around. And she's just saying, I mean, and I'm thinking, oh, have I got time to like boil broccoli and get, you know, make a little a pasta dish for her? And I think, oh, fuck, I'll just get a pizza. And I've got to stop. I've got to stop doing that because I'm just going to, it will just be like this cycle that will go, keep going around. But I do try to get her to sit down, for us all to, to sit down together at meal times. How old are your children? But it is, yeah. <clears throat> so my daughter's three and my son is nine months. But I've been giving him skips. I've been giving him skips. I gave him a, uh, some skips the other day. And I that is abs absolutely appalling. <laughs> but he was crying and we were at this pub and I thought, I just, I, look, I just have that. Did I he know, fix the problem? <laughs> did he stop crying? He did he stop crying? <laughs> well, there you go. Needs he was, a must. He was bloody loving them, one after the other. It was like it was like crack yeah, my, to him. Oh. My son's not ready for solids yet. He's three months, so he's still being breastfed um, and getting all the goodness that I never did as a kid. Um, but it's crazy, isn't it? Like the just the I still do that stupid thing as well, where he goes down to sleep, and instead of me going to, everyone always says just sleep when they sleep, which is really sound advice. But I still do that thing of going right. Let me just make sure he's going to stay asleep. So then like three hours later, I eventually go to sleep and he wakes up after about an hour. And it's difficult because you've got, you've got time just to scroll through your phone, which you just can't do when you've got a kid. So you're just 
start, I start looking at Instagram and then I get lost in it. And then, and then by the time I've looked at what's happening with the Kardashians, he starts waking up, which is pain in the ass. You're quite prolific on Instagram, though, You're and amazing. And it, it, that was one of the reasons that I, I really wanted to talk to you on here is because you, you're straight talking. There's no bullshit. That's so nice. Thank you, mate. Well, I feel the same about you. Has it got you in any trouble? Oh, loads of trouble. But this is the problem, right, is that I suffer. What people don't understand is I suffer from absolutely crippling anxiety where i mean this is why i've had to come off it a bit because if i get like one bad comment i can be in bed for like in like a fetal position for days just crying and just feeling like absolute absolute shit it's just like if people knew the other side of it it's it's yeah it's horrible it's horrible or you think you've upset somebody and i'm like oh fuck so 13 first drink beyond that teenage years when you started to look after yourself actually before that what 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 was home like who was at home uh so my mum and my dad and my brother it was quite weird so my mum lost her sister when she when her sister was like 30 in a car accident and my mum just went into this like massive depression and was just in bed like the whole time so we were kind of I mean I suppose like raised by our dad like dad was like um yeah, just having to, and and that's when we became really poor because there just wasn't money coming in, because Dad was like the stay-at-home dad, and then he started working like stacking shelves at Waitrose, and um, but it was just but so then you just have to kind of entertain yourselves, don't you? And that's that's when you go out like we used to go because we live right by Tesco's car park, which had like a bottle bank and a paper bank, and all we were ever doing is like getting trying to get pornos out of the, <laughs> the paper bank so it would just be like doing shit like that what else do we do there was a woman called judith who was a next door neighbor and she used to she was like in her 60s and she used to sunbathe with her tits out and she had these giant areolas and we used to use them like a dartboard so we used to get out the top of our window and throw mint matchmakers while she was asleep sunbathing trying to hit hit her nipples <laughs> Just shit, like, just really bored. We're just so fucking bored to entertain ourselves doing shit, basically. It's weird, right, because when people think of working class, especially, I think, and this might just be me being from London, they think of council estate. You know, there's a specific image. People don't think of, because you grew up in the Cotswolds, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't associate working class with Cotswolds. We're like, oh, trees, you know, nature. You lot are all posh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but there's council estates fucking everywhere. Everywhere. But they're always bunged on to, like, the just the outside of the village or outside of the town so that nobody fucking sees them. <laughs> yeah, no, they're a bit more visible in London. You kind of can't hide from them, although they're trying to knock them all down there. So throughout your teenage years, then, when you started looking after yourself and you started to get your first jobs, how was... How was life then? Where did you start out? Well, I started out. I moved out at like sixteen and lived with this boyfriend who was a he was a, a bit older than me, and we lived above, just in a room above an Indian restaurant, and and then it was like and then I and so but it's, it's still then I was still eating fucking takeaways and shit, 
just never because we didn't have it was like a bed sit so there wasn't there was like a shared kitchen and I never wanted to go in the shared kitchen to like see anybody so it was always like just takeaways or yeah just eat eating still eating shit like I, I don't think I do know this is so mad but I don't think I actually drunk a glass of water until I started drinking water till I was like in my mid-20s it was always fizzy drinks always always isn't that mad it's meant it's like one of the most important things isn't it hydration fucking mad absolutely insane just never crossed my mind yeah i was well on the government juice <laughs> we used to call it the government and panda juice. pops do you remember them panda yeah pops. panda pops i was always a fan of a vimto Especially a fizzy one. The problem is, is like you don't if you if you grew up on those things, like it's like they you you that they never leave you. I mean, I will always want beige, greasy shit food. I will always crave that. One hundred percent. My favorite food group is potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have the chips. <laughs> I eat most things, but I fucking love chips and they do like they do stick. I think like the things that I ate when I was a kid, I still enjoy the most now. Like I don't have a very sweet tooth, but I fucking love a crisp. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Crisps. Like for, as soon as you get back from school, it was like raid the fucking crisp cupboard because it's just easy and it just fills you up. Did you ever get those salt and shake crisps? Do you remember the ones with the blue sachet that had the salt in? So you had to apply the salt yourself. I had a really upsetting situation in school once where I shook the bag too hard and the bottom broke and I didn't have any more money for another pack of crisps and there may have been tears. Oh, fuck. Do you, do you know what? The brilliant thing about those salt and shake packets is Walkers came out with a competition at the time. Do you remember where you could get a fiver in one of those little blue packets? And then going around going, oh, I've, I've got one of those. And it's just a fucking salt and shake. Always used to do that. When, when did you, when did you um, leave school? What year? Secondary school. I left school when I was 13. Did you? You get expelled? I ended up, well, I ended up, in, For what? it was all because of attendance. So I went from like 11 being offered um, the chance to sit an exam for St. Paul's, which is well posh. Um, and I'm glad I didn't go there because I would have been so out of place. Um, I want to talk to you about RADA, by the way. Um, and then by 13, ended up in a pupil referral unit because my attendance was so poor at school. And a pupil referral unit is a bit like, it'd be wrong to say it's like prison, but it's like, why did you put all the naughty kids in the same place? Like, what do you think is going to be achieved by putting all of the naughty little fuckers in the same place like no one's gonna learn any good behavior it's why i don't like expulsion or exclusion you know and even around this conversation around health and gut health i hate exclusion things feel so exclusive that's for them not us but even like even like the school meals were all fucking pizzas and cookies and it was all fucking junk everything was junk and it's like what my dad did make me sandwiches but what had happened was I used to leave the sandwiches at the bottom of my bag and I never took them out. So it was just piling up and piling up mouldy sandwiches. And then I would steal money out of my mum's purse to go to the tuck shop and just like eat like fucking iron brew bars and bollocks like that. 
And then my dad, what had happened is uh, uh, some flies had got into my rucksack and laid eggs in the mouldy. I had maggots in the bottom of my fucking school bag. And my dad went mental. It was about a month's worth of sandwiches just all rammed into the bottom of my bag. It's insane. The sad thing about that story <laughs> is that I can relate, but it happened to me way later on in life. It was about a couple of years ago, and I didn't realise I'd left something in a, and again, this is quite wanky, mulberry bag, and opened it and got the fright oh. of my fucking life. I was like, maggots everywhere. Everywhere? What What did you leave in there? Do you God know? It, it, yeah, it disappeared by the time I opened the bag. It was just a, a bed of maggots. <laughs> Imagine taking that mulberry bag back into the shop and asking for a refund. <laughs> I hope you're finding the conversation about life by way of gut health as fascinating as I am. One thing that I found out during my own gut health journey is that it's not easy to navigate the world of pills, potions, and work out what's snake oil and what isn't. That's why I founded a goal, carefully curated liquid liposomal supplements to help make good gut health easy, efficient, accessible, and convenient. All disease begins in the gut, so said Hippocrates two and a half thousand years ago, and we make him right. It makes sense then that health begins there too, in the gut. If you'd like to find out more about your gut and try the test used in today's episode yourself, head over to agulp.com and use the code TAKEASTALL to get yourself a 20% discount on the Agulp gut test and a seven pack of Agulp for gut absolutely free. Free? Are you mad? When did you start eating better? At what point did you go, no, I've really got to start looking after myself now? Do you know what? When I was, I think the the one good thing that I had growing up was I was, where I grew up was a, a really diverse community and I was way too polite to say no to a plate of food. And when you grow up in a working class community, the first thing you're offered when you walk into a mate's house is a plate of food. Um, and I was always too polite to say no to things, even though I was scared to eat them. So my it, it broadened my horizons as far as food quite early on. And then I left home when I was 18, 19. And uh, irrespective of what I did to have money, might have been a bit naughty, um, a large part of that money was spent on eating food that I enjoyed. So I started to, to eat a lot better from that age. But throughout that, even from then till now, you know, the bad habits still continue and I slip in and out of doing really good for myself and, and then being really bad for myself. I find that like if one, th like if I stop exercising, then I'll be like, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to eat shit as well. I'm not like, right, I can't exercise because I've hurt my back. So I'm going to eat really well. I'll just be like, fuck it. If I can't exercise, I might as well just eat chips. Yeah. Yeah. It's all or nothing. Yeah, pretty much. I totally get that. I totally, totally get that. Boring question for you. When did you start acting? When did you realise you wanted to act? I mean, probably when I was, I was, when I was really young. I, my mum would let us watch from a really young age, like, like horror films and like B movies, and I just, she would record, like, record them, and they were like tremors and, you know, all those like the gremlins and all that, and I just was so obsessed with it. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, all I want to do is be in a horror movie. It looks so much fun. And then I just, um, my then there was like this acting teacher that was in, and I would do write my own, me and my brother would do our own kind of 
plays and things and and then uh my dad took me my, my dad went to this drama like this drama uh, teacher in the town who was meant to be amazing and said look I've got this my daughter can you come and see her and she was like well you know I'm really I've got so many people on my books and at the minute so I don't think that I can he was he was just would go around there all the time just say please can you just see my daughter and just see what you think of her so and then he managed to get me lessons with her and it was really expensive I think it was like for the, even then it was like it was like 10 pounds for half an hour a week and that was they couldn't really afford that but they found the money and and I just I absolutely loved it it was just like oh I'm so shit at everything else this is what I meant to do like I can't do anything else I'll either do this or I'll be a heroin addict like there's just no in between <laughs> Well, that would have been terrible for your gut health, heroin. Can't imagine that. Any <laughs> fucking good. What was the everything else, though? Oh, like at school. Yeah, at school I was just dread. It felt like I was so thick. It was like everybody else seemed to be getting it, like like maths and science. And I just, my brain couldn't fucking comprehend what, what, like, I was like, why is everybody so much more advanced than me? And I was just failing in everything, in sports, in, like, every every subject. And it wasn't until I I discovered, like, acting and drama that I was like, oh, actually, I can do this, I, I can do this well. And that was, like, that was amazing that I felt like I had a purpose that sort of, like, for something. Did you suffer any false starts? Was there any sort of, like, because I know in my career there were definitely a few where it would have been really easy to go, okay, this is never going to happen, and just given up. Oh, fuck you. I mean, loads. I mean, absolutely loads. I think the biggest false start that we had was I, I just got to a point when I came out of drama school and I just wasn't getting any fucking auditions. And so... And it was so bleak and I was having to go to the job centre and it was just like, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I really thought that after I went to drama school that I'd be in the fucking next James Bond film and it, and nothing was, it was like, it was going back to square one, but it, and, and I had to move back in with my parents who just had, were renting a, a two up, two down. And I was having to share like a broken mattress with my brother and it was just fucking, pawning everything. And then I was just like, right, fuck it. I'm going to write, I'm going to write a script and I'm going to send it to every production company I, I can. So we didn't, we couldn't afford the internet. So I'd have to go to the library and do it. And uh, this production company came back and they were like, oh, uh, we'd really like to, um, have a meeting with you and the meeting was scheduled for a month and I got like the National Express up I had to get the National Express at like half five in the morning because that was the cheapest ticket it was only like nine quid and then hang around London for fucking hours got into this meeting and she was so fucking dismissive and so she was like yeah this country yeah I don't know. I don't know if it's, um, yeah, you want to be writing something more a bit like Lee Max not going out. And uh, you've sent me video clips of you doing this character of Kerry, but 
it's quite it's a lot like Gilbert's Morgana and I just don't I just don't see you as an actor. It's just fucking it's so shit. And I've since looked up this woman and she fucking tried to add me on LinkedIn. I mean like weirdly that like a few months ago and I thought, you fucking cunt. You got no fucking I mean, are you insane? Why the fuck would you think I would want to talk to you, you fucking slag? <laughs> but that makes me so angry yeah there are a lot of slags and the h changes the meaning for me um because it's not gender specific but there are a lot of slags in media what who, what was your biggest false start oh god there were loads i signed to mike skinner's record label and they got the financing pulled because napster had basically ruined the music industry and taken loads of the money from the pot that was going into the hands of these labels. So they withdrew the financing from his record label, which was subsidised by Warner. Couldn't get my records back for a year, so went back to running around on a 50cc moped, giving things to people that they paid for. Um, it just is the song um, uh, when you wasn't famous. Is that around that time, or was that about that time? That was around, yeah, so that was around that time. That was just as I'd signed to to his record label. And then it wasn't until I Need You Tonight. So I had like 10 years of making fuck all for music, but just persistently going at it. And it was blind stupidity. It was. It was like there was a little bit, of, there must have been a bit of self. I've always been quite pessimistic and, and you know, I, I've never been one to scream or shout about myself. I was always quite a shy kid. I was never, you know... Never really felt like I had the confidence, but for some reason I just kept being persistent at it and kept going until eventually I Need You Tonight come out and I started to sell some records. I mean, this is one of the things that worries me so much is that there is so much talent out there that will 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 never see the light of day because these, these people, because if you're talented, I don't think you're necessarily business-minded. And I think to be talented, you're you're extremely sensitive to be able to tap into that. And you're just going to get fucked up, fucked over by these awful producers that don't have any talent, but want the money and know and know how to manipulate. And it just what I mean, it's horrendous. And it, there needs to be a massive fucking shake up in this industry. That sensitivity, I think, as well, must affect your your mental health at some point. Like, you spoke about anxiety earlier. How was your anxiety throughout that whole period? I mean, dreadful. I, I After that, I, I just lost it. I felt really, really suicidal. And, um, and I was drinking, I mean, because we just didn't, like, we would, didn't have any money. So any money that we did have that was left over would just go straight on fucking booze just to try and escape how fucking bleak the situation was. We talking like three bottles for a tenner. Oh, yeah, all of that shit. I, yeah, all the time. Just whatever had the, the biggest alcohol content that was the cheapest thing to buy. That was, like, the best. And uh, no good for gut health. Yeah, <laughs> but the, I think the worst was being in that house, and I just lost it. And I just thought, I just want to kill myself. I just didn't see any way forward. And we, I had to have this uh, this <laughs> they're called the crisis team. They were part of the NHS, and my mum had phoned them, and they had to come out. And it was this really patronising bloke, and he said. 
on a scale of one to three, how much do you want to kill yourself? And I just went, I want to get a fucking knife, get behind my fucking windpipe, and flick it out like that. <laughs> like that. That is how much I want it. And he was just like, okay, so a three then, I'd say. I mean, it was just like, that always pissed Like On a scale of one to three, how much do you want to kill yourself? I mean, what a stupid way of all these anxiety uh, forms that you've got to fill in and... It's just mad. It's just mad. But then all of that, I guess, at a point fed into this country and you being able to use every one of those experiences that you had gone through to write something that, you know, wasn't really a mockumentary as much as it was an account of what life was actually like, which is why people related to it so much. But I think, I don't know whether you felt like this, but a lot of our early stuff had a lot of anger in it, I think towards our situation and I and and we just wanted to get I think it was quite therapeutic because it was getting all that anger out at feeling like you're you're just like this lower class like nobody gives a shit like you're cap in hand to everybody it's you've got no self-worth and it was really that first series was really therapeutic for us yeah definitely I think it 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 becomes cathartic in the in the moment you're sort of you're writing with that frustration so you're still feeling all of those things and then you get to a place where you're like it, it turns doesn't it and all of a sudden you have this success but then that success impacts you as well and there's nothing worse than someone who's doing well that complains oh my god and i love complaining yeah I'm me too not do it publicly because because everyone that's still in the same place that you were thinks you're an absolute prick. Yeah, yeah. And you get massive imposter syndrome and you feel guilty for earning money or for coming, becoming successful. And you think, oh, my God, I've, I don't feel right in this. I don't, I feel like I'm out of place in this. It's, it's a really strange. And there's no help for it. There's no help. There's nobody that, like, can can tell you what it's like to put when you're becoming famous you've just got you're just thrown out into the spotlight and you've just got to get on with it it's weird yeah i think it's a british birthright but there's this whole like gratitude movement you know waking up and being grateful listing everything you're grateful for and we have a hell of a lot to be grateful for but at the same time i don't know sometimes it doesn't you can have everything in the world and, and still have a shit day where do you feel like you fit now? Because I find it really interesting, especially with the class conversation, because coming from a working class background and then finding yourself in a situation where you make money that people who are working class don't and you find yourself in situations where generally people who are working class don't. It's quite a weird place to find yourself because you're not from the background that most of the people you encounter are. Yes, yeah. And, and I don't think that ever leaves you. I'm, uh, for me, I like, for example, I'm, I'm working on this, uh, I'm doing this, B filming this BBC Two comedy at the minute. And they went to put me up in this posh hotel. I stayed there for one night. I was like, I can't, this isn't, I just hate this. And so I, but I found like a fucking, um, a haven holiday park, like caravan park that was close to the set. And I booked myself into a caravan for a week just so that I can sit at the, the clubhouse and do the, the bingo and the entertainment. I started talking to, made friends, this bloke uh, at the bingo next to me who lost both his legs, right? Because uh, he, he said, 
Yeah, it's because I was on, I was smoking about 40 Rothmans a day. And the doctor said, after I lost my first leg, you've got to stop smoking. And you would have thought I'd stop smoking, but no, no, I kept on smoking, lost the other leg. And I was like, fuck it, hell. But I mean, that's dedication to a habit, isn't it? But I love all that. I love talking to, you know, all that. You don't get that in like these posh, nobody talks to each other and... There's such a sense of fucking community in the working class that I feel like I fit into. And I will always, uh, like I've, I've booked a Haven Park for 10 days. Uh, it's the only 10 days I get off this year with me and my kids because that's that's where I get my joy and that's where I feel safe and it's weird. I don't think that ever goes. With your health, you know, your gut health, mental health, physical health, health overall, do you think becoming successful and having more security has had any impact on it? And has it been positive or, or negative? I think it gives you more, money gives you more choices for, for for sure. Money makes your life a hell of a lot fucking easier. And, and I'm not going to lie about that. It really, really, really does. But... I think fame um, is is a massive can can really impact. Uh, yeah, it's a horrible thing, especially if you suffer from anxiety because you feel you're just frightened all the time. Like I'm frightened of getting cancelled every fucking day, and I'm scared to even Google my name or to say. And then if I go out to the pub for a few drinks, I think, oh fuck, I fucking fell over as I was walking out. Or I, got, I was chatting to some girl in the toilets about bollocks. And I just think, oh, somebody filmed me. Or like, you're just paranoid the whole fucking time. And, and what's funny is people think when they're taking a sly video of you or a sly picture of you that you, you don't notice it. So like, I can fucking see you doing it in my peripheral. It's weird. So weird. It's, it is a weird part of it. I'm like, look, if you want a picture, come and ask for one. But filming me when I'm sitting down at a table with my partner or whoever I'm with and I've got a mouthful of food, it's just a bit intrusive, isn't it? Fucking hell. I fuck knows. I think I'm just a massive twat. (laughs) Nah, I disagree. I think it's because it is fucking annoying and we should be allowed to complain. No, but complaining, I absolutely fucking love bitching about... I just... There's nothing I enjoy more than just bitching about shit all the time. I, I, I just love it. I just really fucking love it. I wonder if that's been British. Wait, so are you still doing keto? I saw on your Instagram you were doing uh, uh, keto. No, because I've got fucking kidney stones. I've got kidney stones from it. Horrendous. So I was just eating steak. I was just eating steak all the time. Steak and butter. And I just suddenly got this agonising pain and it felt worse than like, you know, having contractions. And I went to the, um, I said, Dad, you've got to fucking take me to hospital. And I went to hospital. I couldn't even walk. And it, yeah, it was kidney stones because of the keto. Fucking awful. But I've never, I've never had a healthy, and I still do not have a healthy relationship with food. It's like, I don't know how to fucking manage it at all. Like, I, I, I've, I like, it's like I feel, especially like with losing weight, I've always like, I'm either slim and unhappy because I can't eat the shit that I want to eat, or I'm fat and unhappy because I'm fat. Because there's like no 
it's weird. I still do not have. I really want to sit down with like a nutritionist because I don't. I need to crack it. Definitely, and I think it would help my mental health as well. It's weird. There's so many old sayings like, "like you are what you eat" and "food for thought," and all of these things actually have some meaning as far as there are things that if you eat you feel better and things that if you and there are links now between you know certain bacteria in your stomach and your mental health and your mood and I noticed that the better I look after my gut the better my mental and that that was kind of where a gulp was born was me realizing that the better I looked after my gut the better my mental health was and that's not to say that I don't slip back into bad habits and eating crap all the time and then feeling shit. But like I said, you know, bad decisions tend to beget bad decisions. But it's always, everyone always like, balance is always a thing that's promoted. But I just think everything in moderation, even moderation, excess is fun sometimes. You need to, otherwise, where's the point in? My great grandmother always, and she lived through two world wars, you know, and she was always like, just a little bit of what you like won't hurt you. Oh God, that's, yeah, that's so true. I think that's probably where I'm failing is it's like with me, it's all or not. I just get manic about it. So if I am eating well, it's like I don't ever have treats and then I'll just fall off the wagon and then just start eating shit all the time. It's weird though, isn't it? Even the language around it is like the idea of having a cheat meal. Why does it have to be like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why does it have to be a cheat meal? Cheat suggests something wrong, something negative. Yeah, that's so fucking true. I, I just, I have to get it sorted because my guts are fucking bad, are so bad. Like, I can't believe I'm telling you this, but I have like, fucking diarrhoea, like, all the time. All the time. And it's because of the shit that I eat. I'm pretty, I'm absolutely convinced. I need to sort myself out. Do you have bouts of it, though? Like, do you think it is just what you eat or does it happen during periods of stress or anxiety? It, like... Oh, the worst is if I have, if I I get it weirdly like if I like at lunchtime so after I've eaten and then like 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 an hour later and then suddenly it will just fucking come on, and it is just so and it's just like fuck you know when you're trying to get your fucking key in the door and you think I'm gonna fucking shit myself any second. It's, it's always worse. The closer you get to the toilet, the worse it gets. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? You can be 10 minutes away from a toilet and be fine, but as soon as you're about 30 seconds away from that toilet, it gets real serious. <laughs> fucking bad. It's like being on the fucking crystal maze with, like, 10 seconds left on the clock trying to get there. Oh, my God. Horrible. But, yeah, I really want to get sort that out. You mentioned contractions. How has motherhood changed things? Oh God, that's just like, I mean, motherhood. And as you, I mean, you'll know, it's fucking, your body just, I mean, my body's just completely a different body to what it was before, before I had kids. And then, and there's even more pressure to get, you know, slim right down as soon as, and, and, but it is different. Like I find I will just, because I'm so, I like, I'm just looking after the kids and I'm just focusing on them and making sure they're okay. And I'm, so you'll just eat, I'll just eat on the hoof. So I'm just constantly picking at shit and not sitting down to have a proper meal apart from a Sunday roast, which is like a big occasion in our house. Cooking a Sunday roast is like the best fucking thing. Yeah, we've got that in common. And listening to the radio and drinking 
while you do it. Do you drink while you cook, cook the roast? I'm pissed as a fart by the time I serve dinner. That's fucking great. Do you keep having to turn the oven down? Yeah, to, just to prolong things so I can drink more before I eat. <laughs> it's one of those meals, like, you put it so laborious, but it's such an enjoyable process. But by the time you serve it, everyone else is like, yes, food. And you're like... Yeah, couldn't give a shit. But it is my favourite meal. It, it would be my... It would be my death row meal, 100, 100%. Now, I saw a picture of one of your roasts that you'd done, and it looked fucking unbelievable. Unbelievable. My roasts aren't like that. I want you to teach me how to cook a proper roast and make the Yorkshires as well from scratch. They're easy. I can, that's that, yeah, that's no problem. And you are, yeah, come really? over for a roast. I'd love you to. If you can make the journey down from the, so do you still live where? Are you do you still live locally to where you grew up now? Yeah, because I could never move away, and I don't. And and the thing is, like people don't know me here for this country. They know me from like year four of primary school for pissing on the PE mat. You know, it's like people know me for before that. That's fucking <laughs> wicked. See, for, it was it was the opposite for me, and I mean, London's not that big. I don't live that far from where I grew up, but I. I grew up wanting to get away from Hackney, not realizing it wasn't an area I was trying to escape. It was, it was, um, you know, it was my, it was the social situation. It was the fact that I, we had no money. I was trying to escape poverty, not an area, but I associated the area with the poverty. Is there anything you do that you you try and do every day or or as as consistently as you can to look after your your physical or mental health is there anything you try and put into practice if you get a second to yourself away from work away from the children away from all of the other obligations you have as as daisy cooper probably the biggest thing that i make sure that i do is such a stupid thing but make my bed in the morning like mentally for me that is such a good way to like start the day and I've got that time to make it as much I'm actually in my bedroom now I'll show you I've just made it today and I was just like because when I I, I can and it's actually quite an enjoyable thing to do and I don't and I I don't know where that comes from because I was always so fucking messy and it's just that little bit of order that I can yeah, that makes me feel better. I feel like a normal human being if I make my bed and then I enjoy getting into my bed later because it's made. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think there's like, I think chaos is important, but it's important to have a little bit of order as well. And the whole tidy room, tidy mind thing, I think there's something to be said for it. I, I do that every morning as well. It, I don't make it as well as you do. Can I see that again? That literally looks like something out of a white company yeah, but I tell you what, I mean, I only rent this place. But what the thing, the, the pointless thing is, right, see those throw cushions? I'm going to give you an example. Oh, hang on a sec, I'll put it here. So I'll put them on in the morning. And then as soon as I fucking get into bed, I fucking just toss them over there. So what I'm doing, so who is that even for? What am I doing that for? It's fucking insane. <laughs> Stupid. I do the exact same fucking thing. There's no need for that many pillows. It just isn't. It's the reason there's a turndown service at hotels because they get rid of all the useless pillows. They look nice, but they just get in the way. 
It's absolutely ridiculous. Fucking stupid. Oh fuck me. What do you reckon your gut score was? What do you reckon your What do you reckon the score from your gut test was? Fucking bad. Really bad. Really? And I'd eaten like a fucking hog and drank like a fucking hog that week. Tell me what it was. Do a drum roll. It's fine. It was five out of ten. Five out of ten? Yeah, yeah. And that's a snapshot. So if that's what it was after a week of eating like a hog and drinking like me, then that's actually Oh, my not, God. Not that bad. Really? Do you have yeah, scores yeah. that are way lower than that? Way lower. Who, who else got a score? Who got the lowest? I, I'm not going to put their name in it, but there was a nutritionist who you would imagine would have an impeccable gut score and um and had a really poor score and was quite shocked by it. And it just goes to show that actually the robustness of your gut is not, you know, I, that three-year window which you have as a child can... Actually, how do you know how you were born? Were you born by cesarean or natural birth? Natural, natural, and weirdly, I was bre- I was breastfed, so that yeah. is yeah, it's it's weird. But then it was just p- poor choices from then on. Yeah, but see, that set you up really well. I did uh, try to breastfeed my my two kids. I ended up having to like um, do the pump thing, but they still had breast milk because I do think that that is important. Yeah. Yeah, I think when it's, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on mums. I think sometimes it, circumstances are always the most important thing when you're looking at a situation and some people simply can't. But, um, yeah, it was where making sure, I say we, I can't breastfeed my child. If I could, I genuinely would, though. It's been amazing throughout lockdown being able to be such a present father, having not had a present dad when oh. I was a kid. But um, those things make a, a real difference and they really, really affect that that window of opportunity that we spoke about at the beginning of the conversation. Um, and that's probably what's yeah. given you the score that you have, albeit you do your best to give yourself terrible gut health with all the wine that you enjoy. How many units of alcohol do you reckon <laughs> you drink a week? It's a bit, I'm more of a binge drinker. So like on a Sunday, I'll, I'll get through a couple of fucking bottles of white oh definitely just just cooking the roast i don't it, it's that thing though because it marks especially if you're working quite and it's stressful it marks the end of the day having a glass of wine for me is like right yeah i can relax now and it's just a really bad habit i'm in two minds about all of that like I, I sometimes i'm like i wish i could be a person that got to the end of a stressful day and just came home and did some mindfulness or or meditation or yoga but I enjoy a glass of wine. It used to be a spliff. I don't smoke anymore. So yeah. now I enjoy a yeah. glass of wine. And actually, a glass of red wine is good for your gut health, believe it or not. Is it? A bo- Yeah, a bottle. Yeah. But, you know, once it's open, you don't want it to go to waste. You know that those, like, yo- those probiotic yogurts, are they good for gut health or is that? No, it can be. There's loads of basically anything with uh, live bacteria or that this is where it gets into the the science, anything that survives its way all the way to the colon, which is where the majority of your bacteria are, which is what prebiotics do, um, is good for the gut. So potatoes, once they cool, become a prebiotic. Um, I think rice, white rice is the same once it cools. Um, There's, I think, garlic, leeks, anything from that family, onions, they all have prebiotic properties. Kombucha, which I thought was just an LA fad, is actually really good for your 
your gut health as well. Really? Um, oh, do you know what? Yeah. I would absolutely love to be your guinea pig for a couple of weeks and you just give me a list of things to try and t- and to take the test again and to see if it comes back with a higher score. Well, let's do it. But you have to yeah. do it for more than a couple of weeks. You can, oh, really? Changing, changing a gut takes... Yeah, it's not an overnight thing. But if you're up for doing... If you're up for doing it for more than a couple of weeks, let's do it. Oh and then my reconvene. god, I would love. I just want to see what what changes that, like especially for mental health. I'd love to see what the difference is. All right, and yes. well, let's do it, and then let's reconvene. <laughs> In between, if you want to come for a roast, you're more than welcome. Absolutely, a thousand percent coming for a roast. Absolutely, I'll have a, I'll have a natter with it with your missus. Daisy, thank you so much for coming on take a stool it's fucking what a it's brilliant been, name it's brilliant it's name been a, thank you that was, i cannot i was, I, I was been, so happy when i came on. oh my god it has been such a, a pleasure i cannot t- thank you so much mate right i'm gonna hold you to that roast by the way please do you're more than welcome any sunday <laughs> all right darling take care this episode of take a stool was brought to you by a gulp That's A-G-U-U-L-P. If you're amongst the 86% of the UK population that suffers some form of tummy issue each year, fear not. Take the guesswork out of gut health. A gulp for gut contains the vitamins, minerals, nutrients and prebiotics that you need to improve your gut health. Delivered via a daily liquid shot with superior absorption. Our brand new symbiotic, a clever blend of probiotics and prebiotics, come jam-packed with over 50 billion live bacteria in handy single-serve sachets that don't require refrigeration. Our range also contains for brain, for immunity, for sleep and for recovery, which is just as good for those long days as it is for those naughty late nights. And if you'd like to find out more about your gut and try the Agulp gut test used in this episode yourself, head over to agulp.com and use the code TAKEASTHOOL, that's all caps, no spaces, TAKEASTHOOL, to get yourself a 20% discount on the Agulp gut test and a seven pack of Agulp for gut absolutely free. Find out more about Agulp by visiting agulp.com or find us on Instagram at Agulp. That's A-G-U-U-L-P.